right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. We have a very special episode for you today. Four years in the making, if you will. Roy McElroy is back on the No Laying Up Podcast. We cover basically everything we possibly could from the last several years. The state of his game mindset, his how he manages his time, other golf leagues, tours. Just It's got it all. I'm, I'm not going to waste any more of your time uh, teasing it. I am going to tell you, of course, that No Laying Up is brought to you by our friends at Precision Pro Golf. They are proud to announce the next big thing in golf technology. It's the long-awaited Ace Smart Speaker. It's a groundbreaking portable Bluetooth speaker that reads distances to you over top whatever tunes you might be listening to while playing on the golf course. We use this up in Michigan. If you uh, haven't seen our, we just published the final episode of Taurus Sauce Season 7. We were using this out on the golf course, uh, mostly when we weren't filming. And uh, the Ace, it's not just a speaker. It stands for the Audio Caddy Experience. It is truly a golf tool that can help you know your distance and swing with confidence. Every golfer has dreamed of having their own personal caddy. The Ace does exactly that. It speaks to you. It gives you the GPS distances to the front, middle, and back of the green or to customizable layup zones, all that good stuff. The Ace Smart Speaker is available for $149.99 or by making four easy payments of $37.50 using Afterpay. So add sound to your round by going to Precision Pro Golf dot com or amazon.com it's the perfect gift for yourself or the golfer you know you'll never second guess your distance and you'll never second guess adding the audio caddy experience to your golf bag swing with confidence hit more greens with precision pro golf without any further delay rory coming all right as we're sitting here december 16th 2021 how would you describe your relationship with the game of golf right now i'm not warming you up wow um <laughs> i think i have a wonderful relationship with the game of golf um I think as anyone know that knows that's played this game at any sort of level, whether it be the level that I play at or the level that you play at or, or lower than that, um, there is a part of a love-hate relationship that goes on. There's there's days and weeks and months that you love this game, and then there's weeks and you know maybe goes into months where you, you sort of hate it too and you need to work your way through it. But just purely the game of golf and the... Uh, the journey of trying to get better at it and trying to become a better player and a, a more well-rounded player. I, I think you're always on that journey. There's, there's never an end point, but I love that. That's what I, I, you look at like Steph Curry and what he did a couple of nights ago and breaking the three point, like he loves the game of basketball and, and golf, and golf <laughs> very much so. But if we could all have just a little more of that playfulness and joy in the game of golf that, you know, I, I, I've said before that sometimes I felt like golf has become a job and I try so hard to make it not feel like that. And I've had to work at it. It's, you know, there's going to be like 15 years on tour for me. It sometimes gets to, you know, to be a grind, but the more you can make it fun and you just remember why you picked up a golf club in the first place, I think that's really important. So you've learned, you said you've learned a lot there in golf being a job. What, what does that mean? What have you learned? What have you maybe changed on that front or, or trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bridge a gap here in, in seeming like, uh, you, you at times can maybe seem like you're burned out at times this, this past year has kind of almost burned out everyone in some way. 
Um, what what is what what is what does it mean to you when you say you've like learned how to make this a job or treat this as a job? Well, no, I'm, I've learned how to try to not treat it like a gotcha. job. I think that's what it is. Um, I think, and that's separating. I feel as my career has went on, I've started to wear a lot of different hats within the game of golf. Um, it was it was just a golfer, and then you know it's an ambassador for brands and companies, and then you go into like the administration side pack chairman into being on the PJ tour board to being investor in in certain golf products and being involved in trying to grow companies within golf like it and sometimes I need to just really separate everything and be like okay that all that other stuff will go well if I do what I'm supposed to do on the golf course so performance on the golf course and hitting fairways and hitting greens and making putts and shooting good scores is the most important thing in the world. And all of the other stuff sort of just falls, falls in place after that. Is it, um, have you, have you learned things over the years when it comes to time commitments? I feel like you've, you are very good at making yourself available. Uh, have you ever, have you overextended yourself in the past? Is that something that's evolved? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, so when I won my first major at the U S open in 2011, I felt like that's when my career changed you know I was still a you know I went into that U.S. Open probably top 20 in the world so I was a decent player I'd won on the PGA Tour but once you win that major you're just pulled here there and everywhere and you have to learn how to say no and it's not in my nature to say no I try to be a you know giving person and I try to give people time and I try to treat them with respect and but you have to you have to say no and, and not burn yourself out and yeah time management and in, in my career has been a really, really important thing. And, and again, you, I feel like it's, it's, it's easier to get to the destination than it is to stay there, you know, and that's sort of always been, it's, you know, cause then once you get there, your, your time is then limited and you've got all these other responsibilities and, and everything else going on, but you have to remember, okay, I still need to spend the time to, to be the best player that I can be. Uh, and then everything else is secondary. And, and, and again, as I said, it, you do what you're supposed to do on the golf course. Everything else just sort of falls into place after that. Easier to get there than it is to stay there. That, yeah. that seems like something to, um, to unpack there. What is that? Is that something specifically on the golf course as well? Does it, you know, after you've won, say, three, four majors, is it harder to process a T6 after that? Whereas on the way up, you know, you just said, hey, I, I played good this week. Five guys beat me. It is, yeah. I think um, you get to a stage in your career where you know, no one's going to remember a T6 at a U.S. Open, or a, you know, you, you still have to take the little victories from it, and you have to realize, okay, I did that well this week, or I did that well, and that's something I can take into the next week, the next major, the next whatever. But you walk away from a T6, or you walk away from a, a close call, and people aren't really going to remember that. And I think at this point in my career, I'm trying to sort of cement my legacy more than anything else. And I'm not saying seconds and thirds and top fives aren't good. Of course they're good. And it means you're on the right path. And, um, but yeah, you walk away and you, you know, you're, you're always nitpicking at things. And I think that's just the nature of our game. You're nitpicking and think I could have done that better. I shouldn't have made boogie there. I should have been more efficient with the birdie tries I had. So, yeah, they're like they're good finishes, but you know people don't remember good finishes. Right, and I feel like if I can uh, see, normally I have Kyle Porter here to help psychoanalyze you, but we can just do it with you here in the room. But 
I feel like you have have gone through um, ups and downs in terms of what to tell yourself about specific results. I think if I were to guess, I think you want to win so incredibly badly, yet at the same time, you have a wonderful life and it almost like why, why ruin, uh, why, why bring myself down? Why beat myself up over this result that I'm not happy with if I have all these wonderful things for me? And you trying to reconcile those two things. I think I've not been in your shoes, but I feel like it's a difficult thing in your shoes. Am I onto something there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I spoke about this, um, at the open this year at the open. And then after, maybe after the win in Vegas as well, where I said, you know, when I try to soften the blow of maybe not playing my best golf or not getting a win, it's like, Oh, well, you know, I, I'm already winning. I've got this great life and I've got this wonderful family and I've you know, made all this money and all this sort of stuff. So it's like, I, I it's almost, I think Jordan might've talked to you guys about this a couple of years ago about using all that as like a crutch. And it's very true. I, I started to use all that as a crutch and I, I had to realize, well, no, that's all great. And that's my life and that's wonderful, but you can't separate these two things. And I want to be the best player that I can be. And I felt sometimes that mentality of brushing it off or being a little too soft on myself didn't allow me to be the best player that I could be, or at least give myself the best opportunity to be the best player I could be. I'm smiling so much right now because after you said that at the open, I pulled up that Spieth quote and I was like, man, like, look at these two quotes right next to each other. This doesn't quite seem right, but I, I'm glad to hear you say that. That yeah. seems... So you you win four major championships up through 2014. You have four as we sit here now. Yet I think if we roll out in 2010, if we if you were sitting here, if we fast forward 11 years and say you're going to have four major championships, that would make a lot of sense. That would be... That would feel amazing. Does it ever feel like you shot 27 on the front and shot 33 on the back to shoot 60? I mean, is it easy, is it harder to reconcile, you know, winning so many early with, you know, going seven, six years, whatever it is now without winning any? It is. I think there, there has been opportunities for me there to, to win major championships. The Masters in 2018, I didn't put any pressure on Patrick that final day. Finished second at Carnoustie. Had a great chance to birdie 18 to put some pressure on Francesco. Tied for the lead with nine holes to go at the U.S. Open this year at Torrey Pines. Like, I've had chances. I just haven't capitalized on them. But then again, thinking about it, I'm still, I'm 32 years old. You know, Phil Mickelson had zero majors at this point, and he went on to win six of them post-33 or 34. So I still feel like I have a really long runway ahead of me. It's not, I certainly don't think my major winning days are over. And I've, since 2014, I've basically won everything there is to win in the game apart from a major championship. WGCs, the players, two FedEx Cups, race to Dubai's. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done most other things in the game apart from winning one of those big four. So I keep playing the way I'm playing, keeping in this mindset that I think I've finally got right. It's not far away. Well, and that's in the math, too. You're saying, like, you won you won four, and I would say you had five good chances up through winning that fourth. I'd say Whistling Straits was obviously a very close call in 2010 PGA, but you had it you you ran away with a couple and you had a couple that you just closed out but the the math would say like all right you're you're going to have a couple here where you're just a couple shots off the pace brooks is kind of the same way like he got it he got four quickly and then now he's had some close calls close calls close calls and uh, i just I, I i was just curious as to how you how you were personally reconciling that it seems like you're in a good place with that yeah i'm in a good place i mean i'm still you know i'm very proud of the fact that i've won four major championships but you know it's not the end of the road for me and I'm still young. Like I'm thir- I, yes, I'm going into my 15th full year on tour and I've been out here a long time, but um, 
I started young. I, I got off to a great start. I feel like I've kept that sort of pretty good start going. I mean, I'm pretty much on a 10% win rate throughout my career. So if I just keep going with that, then, you know, give, keep giving myself chances. You knock on enough doors, you know, some of them will open for you. And, and that's sort of my attitude going forward. So let's talk about this past year. You, you had some comments earlier in the year. You said, you'd, you know, I'd be lying if I said, you know, what happened with Bryson at Wingfoot didn't kind of influence some things. One, how did that kind of influence some things? You had some coaching changes and changes back, or I don't know how well reported all that was. Kind of walk us through your golf evolution into in this past year. Yeah. Um, so I started out the year, you rewind back to maybe um, October 2020. You know, Bryson's just won the U.S. Open, and he did it in a way around Wingfoot that I just thought wasn't possible. Yes, Wingfoot has openings at the front of the greens. You can hit it way up there in the rough, run it up onto the green. And so, you know, other courses, he wouldn't be able to do that. Wingfoot, he did. but Huge greens there, too. Yeah. So, and like, I'm, you know, I've always been a pretty good driver of the golf ball, but I was like, you know, I, you know maybe a little bit more speed could, could be good for me. And I think as well, you, you see some, you know, you see one of your contemporaries do something like that. And I think for me, like, it's almost like I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it too. And that's probably just my ego sort of getting in the way a little bit, but I, I did it and I got some good speed and I got some good numbers and, but at the detriment to the mechanics of my swing, trying to get the club, you know, one of the easiest ways to get more club head speed is to take the club back faster. And I started to try to do that. But once I started taking it back faster, it started to get more and more inside. And once the club gets behind me early, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, I don't know what to do from there. I've, you know, historically throughout my career, I've taken the club out in front of me or outside. And then from there, I know what to do. The club just sort of drops and that's just a natural pattern for me. But once the club gets behind me early, the club has to travel such a long way to get back out in front of me. And it's like, I just can't, I can't time it up. I can't sync it up. Um, so I went into the 2021 season with that pattern of taking it in, getting it up and then throwing it out in front of me, which is like an over the top move that I've never done. That so it goes two ways. It goes that. all over the place. Um, and I started out in Abu Dhabi managing it and I had a chance to win there. I didn't play a great final round, finished third. And then just progressively over the course of the next couple of months, not working on it and not really focusing on it it just got into this pattern that seemed really, really hard to get out of. So, uh, I sort of pieced it together a little bit. Um, you know, missed the cut in, in LA. Um, (laughs) Harry and I talk about this all the time. Probably my best performance this year was the T6 at the workday at the concession. I could not find the club face. Oh, it was so bad. And it I just, I, I, I just got it around and pieced it together and, um, like it's funny. Harry and I always joke about concessions, and if you can finish T six with no game at that golf course, at that golf course, then you know what can you do if you actually get this right? So, you know, I think I finished like T ten at uh, at Bay Hill, and then I went to the players, and the players is where it started to just you talk about two way misses. Like I missed the tenth fairway at Sawgrass on that first morning, forty yards left. I mean, this ball just came out. I went, where did that come from? Michael wasn't with me at that point. Pete Cowan was 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 there on site and Michael I've, had travel issues like Michael's not, had not, difficulty I travel. mean no. not prote- I mean sort of I mean he still came over during COVID and whatever but yeah it was a little more difficult during COVID to get over and back and everything and just the 
the restrictions that were placed on people that were traveling in terms of testing and quarantines and all that sort of stuff. So it was just, it was a little more difficult than it, than it usually is. Um, like it has been for everyone. Um, but as well, like I, at the start of the year, you want to get into tournaments and play and, and, Michael and I have always worked great away from the golf course and away from golf tournaments. And then I go there on my own and know what I'm doing. I feel like I've done the work. So my head's clear just to go and play golf. Um, but obviously at that point during the players this year, it wasn't, I was, my head was sort of fried. Um, and I played a really bad round on that Thursday. So I, you know, on Thursday afternoon, I just said to Pete, I've known Pete since I was 13 years old. He was a consultant for the, the Irish national team. Um, so I've known Pete for a long, long time, not quite as long as I've known Michael, but he, he's always been a trusted, if I want his opinion on something, he's always been someone that I've trusted to give me a, a good opinion on things. An advisor. And, and, an advisor. Yeah. Michael's talked to him a lot as well. So it's not as if this was a new thing and it wasn't. So we started doing a couple little things at, at the players and I, it was technique. Like I, there was some st- things I needed to really work on. And so after the players, I, I committed to, you know, okay, let's see where this goes with Pete and, and commit to a few months working with him and see if, if I can get a little bit better. And, um, and Michael was totally okay with that. Like he, he was like, Roy, I'm always going to be here for you. You know, if it, if it doesn't work out or I'm more than happy to come back. And so it was, it was very, very, um, everything was on good terms. So I worked with Pete and I, I, I got a lot, you know, I, I, I learned a lot. I thought my iron play got a lot better. My wedge game got better. He just wanted to try to, you know, I was getting very flippy at impact. So just trying to con- stabilize the club face through impact and just get the consistency of the ball flight a bit better. Um, and then I go to Quail Hollow and I win, but I, you know, I didn't necessarily win Quail Hollow with my ball striking. I potted really, really well that week. Um, and you could say the same thing about the CJ Cup in Vegas. I potted really well that week and those two wins were to do with my putter more than my ball striking. But, you know, I thought I was at least making um, a little bit of progress. And then, you know, going into the US Open, I felt like was sort of, felt like I'd hit a sweet spot with Pete in terms of, okay, everything feels good, hitting the shots I want to hit. Um, and then I, you know, the, the result followed. It's, I think as everyone in golf knows, you can, you can feel really good on the range and hit the shots. And then once you get on the course, it's a different animal. It, sometimes it, it just takes a while to trust what you're trying to do. So, um, so that was a sort of journey. And then it got to the point where in the summer, I felt like every time I played a bad round or had a bad shot, it was just all technique. So then I just got wrapped up in my head about technique and just started to think about my swing. And then you're playing golf swing, not golf. A hundred percent sort of freed myself up a little bit more. So like Scottish open, Irish open, Scottish open, open was very, you know, it was more golf swing and I didn't, you know, I didn't allow myself to play with the freedom that I, that you need to play with to win golf tournaments. And I went to the Olympics and tried to play with a bit more freedom and played a bit better there, played a bit better in Memphis, but then, you know, you still need to, there's, there's, something to do with playing with freedom and and seeing shots and all that but you still need to have somewhat of a technique to to match up to be able to make sure that everything's coming out consistently so i go into the fetish cup playoffs play okay finished fourth at caves valley you know i didn't play great at liberty played okay at the tour championship and then Ryder cup was just a i think when i got into this mindset of like when i got under pressure and got under the gun especially at somewhere that's as pressure packed as Ryder cup I, I just reverted back to technique because it's all I was thinking about for the last few months. And like, I played horrifically the first two days. I mean, so bad. 
Uh, and it was even to the fact where, you know, Harry said this to me, he's like, you're not even getting into your chip shots and your putts because you're still thinking about the swing you made to get yourself here. You're not even just like forgetting about it, hitting a good chip, hitting a good putt. You're like, you're still thinking about the swing you just made. And it just, it just got to the point where I needed to completely free myself of all technical thought. And I sort of did that on the Saturday night. I said, right, I'm just going to go out and play the team and Podrick put a lot of faith in me to go out number one. I hadn't won a match going out number one for the last two times. So I went out and I, I beat Xander and I played the best golf of the week. And I just, for me anyway, and I just, that was a huge realization. And I think the emotion that I showed at the end was, was to do with the Ryder Cup and to do with how emotionally charged that week is, being with your teammates and playing all for one thing. And it's such an authentic event. But I think the tears were also me realizing like, you know, not what have I been doing for the last six months because I still feel like I made some progress, but, you know, why did I just, I need to just get out of my own way. And that was the realization. And then, you know, go to Vegas and like, I didn't know I was going to win in Vegas. I just wanted to go there and free myself up. And there you go. Mm -hmm. I win. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Elijah Craig. The holiday season is in full swing. If you're looking for something great to bring home for the holidays, look no further than Elijah Craig after Max Homa's stellar 2021 season. We are hoping he's giving a couple of bottles to his caddy, Joe. It's probably what he'll have to give everyone this year is that he is Elijah Craig's new brand ambassador. Also, if he's doing that, he's probably just regifting it just, just to warn you. He probably didn't pay for those. So if you're on Max's Christmas list and he's giving you a bottle, call him a cheapo for me if you don't mind. From their award-winning small batch to barrel-proof to straight rye, there's something for every whiskey drinker on your nice list. If you need more great gift ideas, visit ElijahCraig.com. Explore their holiday gift guide for recommendations on barware, apparel, gourmet foods, and more. There is greatness within. No Laying Up is brought to you by Elijah Craig, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, Bardstown, Kentucky, 47% alcohol by volume. Elijah Craig reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Let's get back to Roy McIlroy. I go back so frequently to Burktale. What I forget what point of the round it was that JP said to you. Do you remember what he said to you? It was the, uh, I think it was four over through four. Um, first round at Burkdale. Um, I, there's a lot of learning in that morning and that week as well. Not because of that, but uh, yeah, he said to me on the uh, fifth tee at Burkdale, he said, what are you doing? You're Rory fucking McElroy. I was like, well, that sort of makes sense. And I came back, I shot 71 that, that day. And then I ended up finishing fourth that week. And if I didn't lose the ball on 16 on Sunday, I would have had a decent chance. That's where I think you, you just walked through like the whole process, right? Of a technical flaw. And you said something interesting there too, of like, I know like your body as, as, as well as anyone in the world knows what to do, has made thousands and thousands, if not millions of swings and knows what to do from certain positions. But if you want to change something, now you have to unlearn some things and relearn them on the range, in practice, on repeat, then take it to, in competition and then trust it under the gun when you, it feels a little different on Saturday than it did on Friday. And like, it's super easy to try to tell yourself like, oh, just go be Rory, go play. But it's just that getting, you can't just like skip steps in the process either and just go right to the finish and cheat. No, of course not. Um, but there has to be that point where, you say to yourself, all the work's been done. Yes. You, you've done all the hard stuff on the range, at home. You you know, the best mindset going to tournaments is you, you go and you play. And if there's things that aren't going great during that week, you go with what you have. I mean, that's what, you know, what did Jack say? He said, you got to dance with the girl you brought. So, and and there was times during the year where I certainly was 
looking for other girls to dance with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just compete. Go compete. Go compete. Go grind your ass off. Turn a 74 into a 70. And that's golf. That's, that is golf and that is playing golf. And, and I, I figured out I need to just start playing golf more. And, and Bob Rattel has been a big help in that too. I had a great chat at a, had like a five hour conversation with him about all this stuff, um, in April of this year. And, and he has been a, he has been a big help as well. Just reminding me of certain things. And, you know, he, he says some, you know, like when I was talking about technique and I'm thinking so much and he said, Rory, have you ever been to Disney? I said, yeah, I've been to Disney. He goes, when you were there, did you ever get one of these caricature artists uh, to draw a picture of your face? I said, yeah, I th- yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And he, and he said, so whenever they're drawing, drawing your face, are they looking at your face or are they looking at, your, at their hand? And I said, well, they're looking at my face. And he goes, exactly. They're not looking at their hand, telling their hand what to do to try to draw your face, right? They're just looking at their target and letting their hand do what it needs to do. And he goes, that's the exact same thing as as golf. And then we go back to what I said about Steph Curry at the, at the start, like he, you know, he thinks about absolutely nothing, but you need the technique. You need yeah. to drill the technique. You need to yeah. drill that on the range at home, whatever. But when you go and play the less thought, the better. The hardest thing is knowing that good golf comes from the right side of your brain and shutting off the left side, like trying to like your left side's t- trying to tell your body what to do. Flow state comes from right side, but left side is still important in the yes. game because that's where you have to, course management and logical yeah. decisions and laying up instead of going for it, all this sort of stuff, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's, 100%. there's so much, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an endlessly frustrating game, but when you get it right, those seldom times that you do, it's so rewarding. Padraig Harrington has said, uh, you know, I think it was at the PGA or a phrase we've, we've repeated a lot, which is just something along the lines of as you get older and get longer into professional golf, you lose your innocence, right? You, you're nodding as I say that. Do you, have you experienced that, and what does that mean? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. You get I think in li- in life in general you get more careful as you get older, so you lose your innocence. Those experience. I mean we're we're human beings. We're designed to survive. So if we have something bad that happens to us, we're going to put that on our mind. And say, well, I'm not going to let that happen again. For survival, just our survival instinct. It's just who we are. So whenever you're on the golf course and something bad happens and that's when it's like, oh, well, I won't, that, 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 oh, I missed the last green on the right. I'm not going to do that. So then you double cross it. It's like, so yes, you do lose your innocence. So again, you have to work so hard on your mindset to not let that creep in. You had uh, talked about at some point, I don't have the date on this, when you went over to Tiger's house and you, you saw trophies and you, there wasn't, all the trophies weren't out. There wasn't a room that had all the trophies in there. And there was something along the lines of, you know, you only had, only had the majors out and you almost had a reflection point of that of like that's hey all right well that's what that's what matters i'm paraphrasing a little bit but i'm asking yeah. you to explain it but i'm also trying to marry that with you taking on leadership roles within the pga tour and being heavily involved with the pga tour and uh, i don't know what my question is really yeah to yeah that, no I, I so um so this was uh back in march it was actually the sunday of the honda classic because i remember sitting beside him he was in his sort of hospital bed there and and sort of you know leg up and healing and really early in the process and in his family room he's got four shelves or whatever uh, and they're just the the major trophies and it just really hit me because you know I would say the golf media has given Tiger a hard time in terms of what he gives them in terms of like letting them in and he's a very private person and, and he wants to keep it that way and, and that's and that's him and that that's that's good for him 
Um, but I just looked at those and I said, that is just probably one of the most authentic things I have ever seen because all he has ever said his entire life is, all I care about are major championships. And you go to his house, his inner world, like his, his private home, and that's what you see. It's like, no, that he, he wasn't bullshitting everyone. That is exactly what. So it just, to me, was such an authentic realization of like, no, this is, that's what matters to him. And I'm not saying that's what should only matter to me or only matter to the rest of the golfing world. But to me, it was just a realization of, no, he was telling the truth all those years and this is what matters to him. It just, it was just, it was a, it was a pretty cool realization. Hmm. So that, that didn't necessarily change anything for you. Well, I mean, it, I think as you get older and you get to a point in your career, it's like, you know, would I rather have 50, you know, what's Billy Casper's had like 50 PGA Tour wins and three majors or something like that. Or would I rather have 30 PGA Tour wins, but 10 of those be majors? I say, well, I'd rather have the 30 and the 10. So yeah, there, there is a point where it's like, no, this is, these are what are important, but you can't, again, you can't put yourself under too much pressure to, to perform in them because then as we were just talking about with mindset and about freedom and you don't play free and, and, and it becomes too important to you and you become careful. And so you have, and that's again, going back to, going back to Tiger and I've, I've seen it like, you know, Tiger won major championships, not hitting driver anywhere. And that's the left side of his brain basically going, no, that's not what you do. You, you hit an iron onto the fairway and an iron onto the green, and you just keep doing that over and over again. So um, he, if anyone shouldn't play careful in the game, it's him. He has nothing to lose. He's proven he is who he is over and over again. But even, even he gets on golf courses and I'm sure at the top of the swing says oh don't miss it there or don't miss it you know it's just it's it's human nature and that's the best player in the game who doesn't have it he like I've always said if I was Tiger Woods I'd hit driver everywhere and I'd either <laughs> shoot 62 or 82 and not care <laughs> <laughs> so marrying uh up here a couple you know topics in the in the game of golf these days with your your role with PGA Tour you had a, you were asked about it I'm sure you will continue to be asked about it and said that you know, the, the PGA Tour should release players to play in the Saudi International. From what seat are you saying that from? So when I was asked to be a part of the, the PAC, the Player Advisory Council, I, I said, yeah, I'd like to learn a little bit more about the tour business and, and sort of know the goings on. And being on the PAC doesn't mean that you, you don't have a say, right? You don't have a vote. But it's a, you know, the PAC basically, the, the board takes the temperature of the PAC and see what a cross section of the membership are are thinking and, and talking about and then from that temperature that they take they go and make some decisions and then vote on it and it's a yes or a no so and then I get promoted to pack chairman and I'm voted voted into that position my tour members and then once you serve a year as a pack chairman you go onto the PGA tour policy board so I'm on I, in my position on the board I'm not I'm not on that board for the PGA Tour, I'm 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 representing the tour members and I'm representing the players. So I'm not doing a good job for them if I don't think about what's in their best interest. Sure. So for me, looking at it and look, at, you know, going to the Saudi thing, the tournament. This is not the SGL. If these guys have an opportunity to make ten or twenty percent more for their, say, say a guy makes three or four million bucks a year. And he's getting paid half a million dollars to go and play the Saudi international or whatever it is. You know, that's 
you know, between 10 and 20% of his yearly earnings, I don't think the tour should prohibit him from going and being able to do that. So I'm just looking from a player's best interest type of, of deal. And I'm not saying that I am happy or on board or anything that's going on. You're representing. I'm representing the players and trying to represent their best interests. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And what has your involvement been, I guess, in, in conversations or anything going on out there, you know, both with the with PGA Tour because I, I get the sense that the tour gets the feeling with the memo that went out recently about communicating, you know, what the purse increases are, how the, the, the tour's model. I get the sense that at least they think that the players may not fully understand how money flows through the PGA Tour. Do you feel like that is the case out there with the players? Yeah, I certainly didn't know when I first came on tour how the, the business of the PGA Tour worked or I didn't know what a 501c6 was and I didn't know that there, there are these flow-throughs for tournaments and charities and how the PGA Tour is separated from the entities that run the tournaments and all this sort of stuff, right? It's, there's a, there's it's a, complicated. It is, it is complicated. Um, I, when, you come on, when you get your tour card, all you want to do is play golf. Get in as many tournaments as possible. You know, create as many great experiences as you can and try to play well. Like that's, that's basically what you're trying to do. So, but I, I do think there should be like some, and I think there is for the rookies. I didn't come through the traditional rookie route of like, what was the web.com? What is now the corn ferry of, you know, being in the top 25 of that, getting onto the tour. And then from there you have what's called a rookie orientation where you go to Sawgrass for a day or two and you, you learn all about the PGA Tour. And that, and that involves learning about the PGA Tour business and its business model and revenues and seeing where the money flows and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't know that that happened because I never had been through that. But I think it would be important for, for guys to maybe every three or five years just have a refresher on it. Guys that aren't involved in the player advisory council that aren't on the board to be like, hey guys, and yes, they have an, an annual tour meeting at it's usually at Wells Fargo every year in May. There's 156 guys and it's a slideshow and it's like, no, let's let's try to do this a little more productively. Because I think it is important that all the guys are educated on tour business, where the money comes from, where the money goes, how that benefits them, all that sort of stuff. So I certainly in my younger days on tour, I I didn't know and I didn't care. I, I really didn't care. But but as I've got a little bit older and got more involved in this side of things, I think it is important for not only the tour, but the guys to, to want to be educated on 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 the, the operation side of, of things. Well, because it's it's in history shows us that, you know, players can get together and have conversations with each other about things that they're aggrieved about. And that might not be accurate. They might not have the full amount of information. And it just seems like that kind of goes through little cycles if we're if we're talking about the history of the PGA Tour. Yeah, it does. And you're always going to have, I think the thing as well, it's such a, I said, said this, I touched on it earlier about the pack being a cross section of the membership. You know, you have John Ram on the pack, who's currently the number one player in the world, but you also have Roberto Castro or Peter Malnati, guys that are, you know, either on and off tour or, you know, struggling to keep their cards and, you know, trying to get into events and all this sort of stuff. So They're representing a group too. Right. So it's like, you've got John Ram who gets in any tournament he wants, gets whatever. And, and yeah, there's top guys, but there's also these other guys and there's guys that are somewhat in the middle and it's, it, it is a good cross section of the membership and just to see where guys are thinking. And again, in my role as pack chairman, now on the policy board, I have to think of those guys that are, that are down at the bottom. Right. So then going on to, 
you know, PGL and you have an Andy Gardner on here and, and him saying, well, I think I can create 5 billion worth of equity for the players and distribute that amongst the 210. So I'm sort of adding that up. I'm like, that's like $20 million each. I'm like, again, I'm not doing a good job for the players. If I don't bring that to the attention of the tour and be like, just like sit down and listen to this guy or do something because yes, okay, I, I get that the business model that the PJ Tour is currently under is, you know, Andy said hamstrung in terms of this is just sort of what they can do and they're doing the best with what they can. And I agree with that. I think they do a wonderful job within the structure they're in because that was what was created before Jay took in charge, you know, it just, it is what it is. So, but if someone comes along and says, I think I can create this amount of revenue and distribute it amongst every player, you have to listen to that. Sure. Right. Cause that's, again, if that's my responsibility to all the players that voted me into this position. We had a, a talk before that we turned the mics on too, as well about, uh, golf being, you know, what is golf? Is it an entertainment sport? Or is it a participation sport, right? And you had some interesting thoughts on that that I'd like, love to pick your brain on. But I, my answer to that would be that it's both. I, I participate in it. I play. I play, you know, I watch football. That's an entertainment sport for me. I don't play football. But I think your role is in entertainment for the game of golf. In, in one of many roles you play, but you, your role is to entertain me through the television while I'm watching it. What, what, is, what is your view on that <laughs> as you <laughs> grimace and grin at me? So... I agree, right? I think someone high up in the game of golf said that elite professional golf is the window shop into our game. Mm -hmm. That is what you view our game through, right? So it is certainly an entertainment product or sport or whatever you want to say. It It's not purely that though, right? It's also a participation sport. And I think for the whole game of golf success what is success success is just getting more people on the golf course getting more people playing making it more accessible you've traveled you've traveled to my part of the world you've traveled to scotland i mean like it's so easy to play the game of golf sure so easy so i would love to see that more in this country and other countries and, and make it more accessible i think it the golf's had this stigma long enough of being a rich white man's game basically and i'd love that to be broken and, and to make it more accessible and there are some great programs out there in this country that are doing that first tee youth on course like all sorts of pj junior league there's so many great great uh, organizations that are doing that work but i get that if it's not entertaining people aren't going to want to go and play so there is that side of it too so and all these things are constantly being talked about being addressed but it's golf and golf traditionally has moved really slowly and it hasn't been at the forefront of innovation so i think you will see things coming down the line but they're just sort of tiptoeing their way to it i think that's sort of where it's at and you're not in a huge hurry to turn golf into formula one <laughs> not after what happened last week oh my <laughs> goodness it was so again that's where look and netflix is about to come and do a documentary on the pga tour just like it did with formula one and i think that'll be a wonderful you know that's a great you know, that's the other thing as well, right? I think the PJ Tour has provided us all with this um, platform to grow our brand and I hate saying that word, but to, to, you know, lift our profiles and do all that. So, you know, they have provided us a platform to to go out and, you know, create opportunities for ourselves and, and, and do these things. So I think people have to be mindful of that too. But, you know, yeah, they're going to do this Netflix thing and that's going to be great for the profile of some of these guys. And But again, it 
I think what happened last Sunday in Formula One is the narrative was more important than the result, and that can never happen in golf. That can ne- the story shouldn't be more important than the actual result, and I think that's where it got a little clouded last week. There was a great tweet. It was uh, like Kyle Porter threw it out there. Like, all right, I need somebody to make a golf equivalent of what just happened. It's like, well, Rory's beating Tiger by five. Charlie Hoffman got struck by lightning on the 14th hole. So Rory and Tiger having to chip off for the win. (laughs) And Tiger's using the driver and Rory's using the wedge. He'd probably still beat me, but (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's true. It was just, it was, and anyways, it, again, it, I'm so glad that like rules officials in our game aren't as, you know, they don't make the rules like that and they're not as, you they're know. They're not playing we, God. Yeah, we're, we, we govern ourselves and, and for the most part, and that's, uh, and that's a good thing. Again, this will be projecting a little bit, but if I may, uh, saying about, look, watching the Ryder Cup, watching your emotion after it, seeing, you know, Kyle Porter again wrote an awesome piece on just team golf in general and, what really stuck the line that from that that stuck with me was like failing together can be more rewarding than than winning can be alone. And I watch some like we're talking about managing energy, we're talking about the evolution of a career, and just and from my experience covering the game, like it's it's not as glorious as a lot of people think it is to to travel, and it, it's a lot more lonely playing professional golf uh, than a lot of people would think it would be. You don't necessarily travel with a huge posse. It's not great fun every night and whatnot. Yet you get together for this team event. All that gets washed away almost. And it, it seems like it rejuvenates you. It gives you like this purpose. And I'm wondering if that can be more, if team golf being more frequent in professional golf is something that kind of helps alleviate those other two years. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so I would say that, part of the reason that um i think also you know part of the reason that the united states maybe haven't done so well at Ryder cups before it seems like this bunch are really like they've grasped it and they've really you know they 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 want to be a team they all get get along they all um you know it just seems like a more uh cohesive cohesive um I'll say friendlier bunch, but even like on tour and, and seeing everyone play practice rounds together, it does seem like they're all, there is a bit more togetherness and that probably starts with president's cup and going into Ryder cups. But, it, but at, I think that for Europeans, why it feels so special to us that it is once every two years that we play a team event where the American guys, they play one a year and they maybe don't get as amped up for it as, as we do, because it's, they don't have to wait that extra year. Um, and that's what makes the Ryder Cup special is the fact it's only every two years. The World Cup in soccer is once every four, Olympics once in every four. So there is a, you know, the NFL is only whatever, I'm at 20 weeks long. So, and then you're waiting another 32 weeks for it to start again. There is that exclusivity that people yearn to, you know, I think that's a part of it, but there is certainly space within the professional game to have some, team events i don't think it has like look what the the what cricket has done with the ipl these two month-long uh series one's in like may and one's in november where you get these teams and it's 2020 and it's you know runs and it's 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 a lot of fun so and yes cricket is a team sport but then there's a different element to it when everyone gets involved with the ipl and that could be something within golf that i think would be pretty cool something like an ipl model where okay we're going to take the month of you know, in between these two majors and at the end of the season where 
these are the two months where we play team golf and we get together and it could be fun and could be exciting and, and different formats, play night golf, like all the stuff that we talk about when we say product, right? Sure. Is like that, that would, I think that would be a, a good thing for golf and it would rejuvenate things. And I think it wouldn't only be a good thing for fans, but it would be a good thing for players too. I think it would be a nice break from the typical 72 hole stroke play week after week grind that we all go through. What, what is, what is product to you? <laughs> it's, you know, it's, I mean, the product is, yeah, the product is the outward facing brand that you put out to the consumer or the fan, right? So no one would argue and say that the four major championships products are feeling because they're traditional events and they're, so I think the product, and I'm doing this, we're not, air quotes. yeah, air, air quotes. quotes. I think over the years, it's become very saturated. I think that's the thing. It's like I turn on the golf channel and every week there is some different tournament on multiple tournaments. You know, there's going to be one in Europe. There's going to be one in the States. There's going to be, and that's good. I think that you need that, but I think to get, you know, we want to say the product of getting the top players playing together all at the same time. I think there maybe needs to be less saturation and and maybe cut the tournaments down a touch i'm not saying i st- again talking about my role within sure. the tour like i i recognize that these tournaments really benefit the guys that are 125 150 175 on tour so you still have to give them a chance it's a hard one because i think everything in this world has become more and more star driven as as the years have went by you know, people don't have time to tune in to watch five hour rounds of golf. They, you know, they, a little 15 minute highlight package at the end of the day and, and they're happy. So there's all of that stuff that needs to be thought about. And look, I think we're all in agreement that, that the consuming golf and golf being an entertainment sport, I think if we're going to have it every single week of the year, there are some opportunities where we can change it up and make it a little more fun and exciting. I'm, I'm all on board with that. No, and it's, it's like you, you talk about these and you talked yourself right into it being about going all the way back up to the top, 501c6, right? It, it, you keep pulling on it. It's like, well, these events exist to support these guys right here, right? So, you know, you can't just cut a turn. If you cut 10 tournaments, like guys are going to go find somewhere else to play. They're going to go play the European Tour. They're going to go you know yeah, cutting, they're, cutting events right they're, now. They're, is, they're, they're going to find alternatives. Sure. Right? And... And again, I'm like, whether guys want to play on a, on an alternative tour or not, that's not of my concern and nor should it be like, I'm, I'm happy playing where I play. Um, and I, this is my line is no one benefits more from the current system than me. No one from, from the PJ tour, DP world to the PIP to Comcast top 10 to FedEx to our benefits in terms of like pension or like no one you know, if you're a player like me or a certain, like no one benefits more than us right now, but that's not to say that things shouldn't change and evolve and, and get better. And because again, I'm trying to take my, I'm trying to remove myself from this for a minute and be like, okay, what would be better for the overall game? And again, I think, and that's, you know, it, you know, you go to like a drive shack or a top golf or one of these things, like that's not golf but it's a wonderful introduction to the game for a lot of people. 
that's less intimidating, that's fun. Like, and from then, if people are like, oh, I wouldn't mind going and taking a lesson from a local PJ pro. I mean, that's a, that's a great thing. So the traditionalists be like, well, that's not golf. That's not whatever, but it gets a club in people's hand. They play. So if you can have these innovative, fun formats that I think there are, there is room in, in the game to, to put on and to do and get the best players to, to play in them. You know, I, th- I think that that could be good for everyone. Par three courses, 50 yard holes. Just give me an, an, an easy, uh, easy entry points to, you know, getting people into the game that don't need to hit driver, don't need to lose golf balls like that's like I look at like I wish I had a place to take my wife to play where you know hit pitch shots hit putts from 50 yards or things like that she does not need to hit driver and 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 uh and things like that no so. 100% and then you you look at like I had to command Bryson in the Bahamas a couple of weeks ago I said like I have never tuned in to watch a long drive competition before <laughs> was and I was on YouTube and I was trying <laughs> to get I was like this is unbelievable you so should have even been in the comments that would be funny even stuff like that is is cool. It's yeah. different, and and I commended him for at least being like being comfortable being different. Right, this is something that's a big passion for him, and he went at it, and he's like, I mean, it's amazing to watch him hit the golf ball at the minute. So just all that different stuff. I think there's a place for it all in the game. I think this this whole exercise of potential other leagues and has made everyone in professional golf ask themselves like, what do you play for? What do you what do you want? Like right, and as you just mentioned, no one benefits more in the current system and. I think you even said things of, you know, I've got more money that, you know, I've got my money. I don't need, you know, I don't need to play for money. So what, what do you, what do you play for? How would you answer that? What, what, what matters to you? Trophies, pin flags. I, all my pin flags for my wins are up in my gym. All the trophies are obviously in my house. At this point in my career, I would give all the prize money back to just win trophies. All of it. Not what I've currently made, but going forward, you wouldn't have to pay me a penny. How common is that? on the tour <laughs> probably not very but i'm in a position where i've worked my ass off for the last 15 years to get to this position so um i'm very fortunate that i can say that but i think that is it and i think as well one of the things that really makes me smile is when someone comes up to me and say like i really enjoy watching you play golf that's like that's really cool that's really really cool so if i can win trophies and put pin flags on my gym wall and give people a little bit of joy through watching me play the game. Awesome. What would you, how would you define or describe how you have set up your off course structure? How integral is that to you succeeding on the golf course? And how does it, how does your structure compare to, you know, some of the other top guys out on tour? Yeah. So the way I think, I, I think some other top guys have, have started to do, um, what I'm doing in terms of investing and, and, and that side of things but it's just that I've started a little younger. I've sort of just had a head start on a couple of those guys. So um, obviously Tiger started to invest in some things and you know Phil and Ernie and those, those guys that are you know, 40s, 50s, I, you know, I just started at 30 because I benefited from where the game was at at that certain point. I benefited from the fact Tiger came along you know, 15 years before I did and, and I reaped the, the rewards of, of what he built for all of us. So my structure is, it's a really just trying to plan for the for the long term and plan for the future um as i said like i've got to the point now where i try to make my money work for me so so instead of like i still have endorsement deals and and everything like that but i would imagine in the next five to seven years i will get to a point where 
it might not make sense to take any money from companies because I value my time more with my family when I'm at home and I can make my money work for me better by investing in things and being a part of companies and you know so that's what I've started to do so whether that be um golf pass golf channel and having an ownership stake in that whether it be the whoop investment whether it be Trun golf that we just invested in these are all just sort of golf we've got a bunch of different I set up a an investment vehicle with Sean, my agent, and then Donal, who's my sort of business manager. So the three of us have an investment vehicle, Golf Symphony Ventures. We've made 20 investments in in different companies all throughout the world in different sectors. And um, it's just a way for my money to quietly work for me in the background so that I can just, you know, go and play golf and, uh, and not really worry about it. But you know, I have long-term, long-term contracts with with Nike, TaylorMade, Omega, Optum. So, and, and you know, Golf Channel, Golf Pass, NBC, like that's a long, long, long-term deal. Um, so I obviously have an obligation to that, but that's me being more of a an owner in that rather than actually um, having to commit time and do all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think at this point, I, you know, I'm, I'm also a husband and a father and, and I want to, spend time at home and quality time not time where I'm at home but I'm having to go and do this day or that day or so just sort of trying to make my money work for me and that's a really nice position to be in so that whenever my contracts are up whenever that is in the next few years I can come to a point where it's like do I want to do this again or do I really value my time and be like no I'm just going to spend time at home when I am home and and just sort of let my money work in the background for me. That is, uh, that seems like lesson learned, right? Is it, is it getting better every year in terms of the time that you're able to commit to things that you want to be spending your time on? That seems like the only, the, the very finite resource that we're talking about here. It is, it is time. And I think that goes back to, um, what we were talking about at the, at the start of this conversation was, um, time management and what, where do you need to invest your time and spend your time? And, and as I've, I said at the start, if I invest and spend my time, on the most the two most important things to me are my family and my golf and if i can be present in both of those and really try to be the best golfer i can be try to be the best person off the course in terms of a, a father and a husband then everything else just sort of falls into place from there talk to me about fatherhood what's that uh what's that been like and i, I don't want to relate it just directly to golf but the second part of that being how has it affected your routine how it's not a it's not a zero sum at all but uh, what, what's the, what perspective is the word that everyone falls back on in that one, but it's uh, not, it's not perspective. <laughs> it's, it's time management again. Yeah. It's like when we had Poppy and especially those first few weeks and just sort of trying to figure it all out, like you, you're not prepared at all. Like everyone thinks they are. And then you get into it and you're like, I have no clue what I'm doing, but, um, we've kept her alive for 15 months. So that's good. <laughs> 15 months already. Wow. <laughs> so that's good. But, um, I think, what did I do with all of my time? I just, you know, I feel like I must have just procrastinated so much. So I think that's been the big thing. And yeah, just trying to be more present when I'm at home and, and trying to, you know, not be scrolling on my phone and not be doing stuff. And it, it's, you you don't want to miss those moments where, you know, your your daughter's growing up and you, you're not there for it or you're not present enough to catch that you know, first data or that first step or whatever it is. Right. So it's been great. I, I, 
like people say it's good for your golf, bad for your golf, whatever. I don't think it makes a difference. As I said at the start, I'm really trying to separate those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have them on the road with you? Sometimes. Yeah. Not um, so, Separate hotel rooms? So we try to do like a, just adjoining rooms. Yeah. Just adjoining rooms. So Sleep um, matters a lot <laughs> in pro golf. Ma- like. Massively. So yeah, it's and it's not as if, yeah, like when I'm at a tournament and if she were to wake, she, thankfully we've been blessed with a really good sleeper, so that hasn't been a problem. But um, yeah, like if I'm at a tournament and she wakes up at 3 a.m., I'm not going to go and try to put her pacifier back in or like change a diaper. I mean, like, Erica, please, can you get on. that? But that means when I'm at home, I'm I'm happy to to take a little more responsibility and, and do some stuff. Sure. I'm saving this one towards the end so you don't uh, you don't rip my head off on this one. But why was the why was the rip shirt in Dubai such a sensitive question? Because it's just a rip shirt. <laughs> I guess that's, that's not thing. normal though. That's We've just never a seen rip you do shirt. That. I mean, I've broken enough clubs. I wasn't yeah, going to do that again. That's pretty normal. So I just it was like, <laughs> what is the fascination with this rip shirt? It's I mean, like the image is pretty priceless. <laughs> You're standing I, there I didn't phone. try to rip it down to the nipple, <laughs> especially in Dubai, like a, like a Islamic country where that's sort of frowned upon showing skin. So, um, anyways, I was so frustrated. Like I, I wasn't playing my best on Sunday, but I hit the, you know, I was okay. I was still tied for lead. I was like, right. You know, 15 is a birdie hole, birdie this hole, you know, see what happens. And I hit this lovely little pitch shot from like 50 yards hits the pin, comes into the bunker and like, just, I mean, and then after that, I, I tried to go for a birdie on 16. I, I rammed a, a putt bat by from like 30 feet, like eight feet by, I missed the one coming back. So I wasn't frustrated at like, I wasn't going, oh gee, I'm so unlucky per me. It was more like such an idiot for re- reacting to that bad break the way I did. That That's what I was angry about. Happy for Colin. He played awesome. He birdied five of the last seven. He deserved the win, but my reaction to getting a bad break was like, you dumbass, like, what was that? So that was why I was angry. That's why I ripped the shirt. But I mean, two weeks later in the Bahamas, I'm still getting asked about it. I'm like, what? Like, it's a ripped shirt. I mean, geez, it's okay. I went in the pro shop. I got another one. I went back to the hotel and I was fine. See, that's a funny image as well. You buy a t-shirt. I sent Sean in the pro shop. I was sitting in the locker room saying, Sean, could you get me a shirt, please? Uh, so anyways, uh, last, we'll get you out of here on this. One of your favorite topics, I'm sure. Um, I feel like you've done a lot of different, almost annually, you change up your routine before Augusta in some way. I feel, (laughs) is that fair? Well, one, is that fair to say too? Yeah. What, uh, what, what do you, what do you, what is the, what is the approach towards that? So I'm going to play the Middle East, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and then I'm not going to play until Augusta. No, no. (laughs) Uh, That feels like news. Yeah, no. Um, I am. So the one thing I would say over the last couple of years is traditionally for the top players, the last event you play is the match play in Austin. And I think having a match play event, your last reps before going to Augusta isn't necessarily a great thing. Mm -hmm. So I think I'll play through the Florida swing. Again, work at home, work at getting things right. And then I think I'll potentially miss the match play and play San Antonio and then um, the Masters. I think that could be a... I did that back in 2013. Um, I played San Antonio, played well, and then went into the Masters and played okay. Like I had a bad nine holes like I usually do. And <laughs> But I think that playing before... 
I think not sort of, you know, having your mind on something else rather than getting dragged into the whole hype train of the masters and first major of the year and all that, I think is a, is probably a good thing. So, um, that's the plan at the minute that could still change depending on how I play and what goes on. But, um, that's the, that's the thought anyway. Do you feel like the hype train is, uh, dying down at all year? Does it get bigger, stay the same, get lower going into it? Do you have a personal hype train? Like what is, yeah, I it gets, I think it gets lower every year. Like it was massive in 2015 after coming off, you know, what I did pretty big in 16 as well. Maybe a little subdued in 17 because of the injury. Um, 18 was big coming off the win at Bay Hill. 19 was big coming off the win at the players. Um, 20 was weird just because it was in November and it was just different. Um, and then this year felt very low key just because I didn't have my best stuff going in there. So, um, but it has, it, it hasn't felt as hypey since 2015 when it was just like, felt like I was on the cover of every magazine going in there. I, and I played well, I finished fourth. Jordan just absolutely obliter- obliterated everyone else and, and had an awesome week. So, um, I shot 12 under par for the tournament, played okay, but you know, it wasn't, wasn't anywhere near good enough to, to hang with him that week. Has your personal, I don't want to say desire, uh, that's the word that's coming to mind here, so you can take that however you want. Has your personal desire for it evolved at all over the years? I still want to win it as badly now as I did back in the day. I mean, But I feel like if I can psychoanalyze a bit, I feel like you've at times tried to downplay how badly you want of, to win it. Of course, yeah. but uh, like you have to. Yeah. Like, yeah, for yourself, just again, talking about you have to go in playing these tournaments with as much freedom as, as possible and... Um, Augusta more than any other golf course in the world can get you all tied up and tense and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Tentative is the word that I sort of use. So yeah, you have to do that. You have to try to do, you know, but I think embracing it and embracing the fact that you're, you have a chance to do something, um, that very few people have done. Um, yeah. And Rutella says this to me, like, what's wrong with going and chasing your dreams? That seems pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that that seems really really cool. I get to chase my dreams for a living. It's gotten you pretty far, you know. So I, that's that's sort of my my attitude towards it. You know what I rewatched last night was your uh, Chronicles of a Champion Golfer, the Open Championship yeah. film. That thing is so good. Yeah, all that footage of you as a kid and just like I, I think it's just freaking awesome. All those range swings. Your your parents did a great job archiving that, footage. That's the that a lot of those videos are Bannons as well. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. But again, like if I I look at that kid and that's who I want to be in love with the game just absolutely in love with the game can't wait to see what's next like that that's the sweet spot in terms of the mindset that's where I'm trying to be because you know what caught me was rewatching it was um you you did use past tense when you said loved golf in the very beginning of that that caught me on the second time around. okay yeah. I don't know if that's if that's reaching a little too far in no, terms I, of, I love golf. Good. I don't, okay. I don't, I, I, I certainly present tense. I, I love this game. It's, I mean, it's been very good to me. It really has. And, um, yeah, it's again, there's a love hate relationship and you go through your periods of frustration, but at the end of the day, you have to realize why you picked the club up and it's because we loved it and we had fun. And the more you can do that on the golf course, the better. Knowing that time is a precious commodity of yours, we are going to get you out of here, and we appreciate you making an hour for us, and uh, really appreciate the time, Roy. It's fun. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today.
That's better than most. How about in? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect any 